Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Talking Toro podcast. I'm here as always with my co-host Peter Bourne uh, and firstly we'll be discussing Torino's uh, narrow 1-0 defeat against Napoli on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Peter unfortunately um, this was the sort of BT not allowed to show the game slot but um, from, from what you've seen of the game since what did you uh, what did you make of the defeat? looked a little bit like a, a very kind of scrappy um, sort of end of season game, quite reminiscent of some of the like, narrow home defeats Torino have had in past seasons against the against the bigger teams. I thought it was a uh, horrible goal to concede, both the uh, possession loss from Pobega, which is probably a player we, we should come on to, and then just very unlucky it took at least two ricochets. I don't think it was a particularly well-struck shot, um, and yeah, he got two two kind of dodgy dodgy ricochets. Um, it's just one of those things. That the goal came three minutes after Coffee Gigi came on. It was just there's a way. He's he's actually to be fair to him, not had a bad season and and definitely had a better season than 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 we expected. But there's a kind of kind of just one of those things. Our oh, coffee's on. Some something will happen, and you know he had no part to play playing the goal. Um, obviously, Insigne missed, um, I think he became the first player since the 1920s to miss a penalty against Torino in a home and away match. I don't know if that's a made-up statistic. Two, two, but... different goal, two different goalkeepers as well probably makes that, that sort of a little bit more difficult to uh, replicate that that statistic. Yeah, I guess, so I guess that's the frustration is we didn't, that could have been a, a turning point in our favour, which we didn't take advantage of. Um, from what I've, what I've seen in red, Bellotti was quite quite lively again. Um, just uh, sorry, uh, just going back on the penalties, just quickly. Did you think it was a pen? Um, I, 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 I I'm not sure. It so saw him. Yeah, uh, that that was, and it was either very clever and very cynical, or, or um, yeah, it's so generally. I think if you look at his eye line, he, he, I'm not sure he sees seasons in yeah. It, but it's both difficult. with it are entirely possible. So it's difficult to um, it's difficult to tell on sort of like the YouTube replays. I think it's Mertens um, who goes down under the, under the tackle bin, and he definitely sort of makes a meal of it. I think there's at least three or four rolls in there. Um, and so I, I just I wasn't sure. I thought it was a little maybe maybe there's a replay on there which we, which I missed, but I thought it was a bit soft. But with all due respect, Torino have had some pretty soft penalties awarded in their favour in the last couple of weeks. So I don't think I can complain too much. Um, sure. No, it's then it it's so then made a, a blinding last ditch tackle on Insignia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was that was that was very impressive and probably uh, made him well, to be honest, Barisha had already sort of bailed him out with the penalty save. But yeah, the block was um it's I've already seen it sort of I think it's so he's gonna probably that's going to be in his highlights video for the end of the season for a few more a few years to come. It's already been on his Instagram story about six times. Oh, he um, does. He does. He does love it. It does. Yeah. Love it, doesn't it, it? it was very good, and and yeah, maybe we'll go on to him shortly. Yeah, uh, just about. Well, let's. Sort of yeah, there's had. a few players I wanted to. I mean, the game for Torino was uh, uh, not of massive consequence, really, in terms of in terms of our destiny. I think we'll get onto it towards the end of the episode. That. You know, finishing in the top half and with finishing with more than fifty points would be uh, would be a pretty good return for this season. I think, really, on the on the basis of the quality of our play and some of the matches we've thrown away, we, the points tally and the position should be higher. But I just think going into next season, if you if you if you've beaten at a fifty point mark, you finished the top half. It's definitely a platform to build on. 
Um, a couple of players, yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, we've talked a lot about Belotti, and I'm, so I, I kind of want to leave him leave him off for a week. But there's a few of the other players I wanted to to kind of to kind of a little dis- discussion about. Pabega's one of them because I just feel that since the, I guess since the turn of the year, he um he's been in and out of the side. I think there was a lot of debate around the winter transfer market that Torino shouldn't be giving too much playing time to a guy who was good. Essentially, Juric's complaint that we're kind of improving a player for another team for next season. And I don't think any of that discussion particularly helped him. And then obviously Richie came in, um, Andragora came back from from kind of his injuries. But I think it's a bit sad a little bit the dec- decline of Pobega in the second half of the season because I think he, based on the first half of the season, he was on for kind of eight to ten goals um, and was such kind of a key driving driving force at the beginning of the season. And I think the second half of the season, I think the first half of the season, I was like, oh, we really will miss this guy next season. It's a real shame. Uh, but the second half of the season makes you think you might just you might just fade out a little bit. Um, I um, I think yeah, I agree with that. I think I think the reason he probably hasn't seen as much playing time is that factor entirely. You you've invested in in Richie. You've you've got Mandragora. You got Lukic there. That playing time for a player who may not be there and is you basically just improving somebody else for Milan and maybe making him more expensive for you. Should you want to make uh, should you want to make the deal permanent? Sort of made it natural that he was the the player who would drop out. I do think actually, given his sort of drop off in form, whether that's sort of just because he's just not being able to play and find that consistency, and and if Milan do win the league, sort of that extra money that will entail obviously Champions League. You can you can't imagine Pavega going straight into sort of Milan's team. At the moment, you couldn't see him maybe being one of the sort of first replacements for that centre midfield position either. I know, uh, in all likelihood, I think uh, Frank Kessier is leaving, but you would think they would maybe go out and buy a big signing to to sort of fill that void. So maybe there is a maybe there is scope for for Pabega to maybe come next season again, and and whether they can just put an option in there. I I quite like the. Um, alone with a redemption and a, and a buyback for, for players like like Pabega where a sort of bigger club doesn't want to lose them but also Torino can make a little bit of money out of the deal say it was sort of it was a Torino can buy him now for say 9-10 million euros but yeah I've put an expiry on it and, and Milan could get him back for sort of 20-25 million in a, in a couple of years time um, worst case scenario you, you've made you made a big profit um, so I think that's one in the summer could be one to look at I think especially towards the end of the window if if you're rich is still in charge and still fancies him as a player it could be um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a Torino shirt next season Old call what about Armando Itzo where's he going to be next season uh, apart from on that Instagram is a, that is a very good question to ask I, I, it's, a, it's a strange one really because obviously he knows he knows you're rich really well from Genoa he, there was a press conference where he referred to him as Armandinho, uh, so sort of quite a sort of affectionate term for for a thirty-year-old man. Um, but um, I, I don't I don't see why he's so unfancied. I think it's so he's a perfect candidate for a, for a back three. Really, he's yeah, you wouldn't trust him in a in a back four, but as a right-sided centre back, he's probably better going forward than sort of Zima and uh, Gigi. He's not a bad defender, as shown with his his great block on Insigne at the weekend. Um, 
he just sort of needs that freedom. He's ingre- he's aggressive. He can go in forward. He's he's good in the air. Uh, always pops up with a few important goals. So I don't really understand why what it is that Juric hasn't fancied about in the season. Maybe it's just he's a bit too a bit too aggressive. But Juric, given Juric's tactics, he's really just sort of having everybody in sort of one-on-one duels across the pitch. You would think Itzo would be a sort of player who he would he would really like. So it is strange, and he sort of fell out of favour. He's come into the team with injury of, of Gigi. And then, when, funnily enough, when Zima and Gigi were both available, he then randomly picks Itzo. But whether that was just a sentimental thing because it was against Napoli, I'm not so sure. Um, I, again, I think if Juric is at the club, I think there's, there's a good chance Itzo won't be um, because it, it's quite clear that he's maybe the third choice sort of right-sided centre-back at the club, obviously. If Bremer leaves, that might sort of jig things around. I think they've they've tried Zima in the middle of the back three. Not sure that would be a long-term solution with a sort of still a, a young player. Um, but yeah, I think I think this could be it. So last season, a Toro shirt. We're looking at that defence for next season. The Rodriguez uh, Bongiorno um, on the left-hand side is probably a bit of a shoe-in. Um, and I know Bongiorno can probably play in other places, in other areas of the, of the back three as well. If we if we take it that Bremer's probably going to leave, yeah, I'm not sure how many of the other. I think there's probably a little bit of investment. As I find it strange that Zima's not been given a bit more game time towards the end of the season. You know, playing one game in three, I don't never, necessarily think I've helps. Never, so. I've never thought he's had. I mean, it's critical of his his part in the goal against uh, Lazio, but. Um, where the late the late equaliser from a mobile but other than that I don't really remember too many sort of individual mistakes or remembering up until that point I thought he'd had an okay game I think he might have come on a sub though um but I don't remember like watching him play and thinking all oh, this this guy looks out of his depth I think he's had quite a good sort of first year in in Italian football for somebody who's still quite young so um maybe it's, it's it's really difficult to sort of see how players will adapt to different leagues. But if you sort of think back to to when Bremer first came and played, um, he was a bit part player for Torino. You, you, he was unrecognisable to the player that he is now. Even sort of the start of sort of last season, Bremer was still making sort of silly mistakes. It's probably only from sort of January onwards in, in last season that he's become the sort of brilliant player that, that he is now and it's likely to go for a big fee uh, so you don't want to write somebody off too too quickly I think Zeman is definitely a potential there where you can you can see that there's a player uh, in there to keep sort of keep the faith with Sure yeah I've, I mean the, the bigger question may be on that right hand side because if it's so he's just not had enough game time over the last two seasons really to uh, for him to save any confidence he's going to play anymore next season Gigi uh, for me, it's just, I think Juric likes his kind of pace and physicality. Um, but there's just, there's kind of too many mistakes. And for me, he'd be a reserve at best. Um, yeah. He, someone's I, coming with fresh legs. Um, I wouldn't feel too, too comfortable with him being the first choice starter next season. At the early stage of the season, I genuinely thought that Juric was sort of playing Gigi just sort of a, as a message to, to Cairo that, Look at, right, look at that look, as well. And that's yeah, look at look at yeah. t- look at the team you've left me with. I'm having to play this this guy who got relegated from Grotone last season. I'm having to play him because you've not 
managed to get the players that we like. But I do get the feeling that Juric just really likes him. Like I think I think he's actually mentioned that he was one of the biggest surprises that he had because because if you cut out Gigi's mistakes, which which I mean that's quite a big statement because he does make a few, but he. he He's made. He has actually had a number of really good performances for Torino. For Torino, I remember one last season. Uh, I think it was where he kept Jacko uh, quiet at Roma. Um, maybe it was a couple of seasons before. But he um, he is a good. He has got attributes of a good player. I think that the difference sort of between sort of a, a good mediocre sort of Serie A player and a, and a really good one is consistency, and and that's what he's lacking. But yeah, I agree. I think if we've got any desire of wanting to sort of challenge for the European spots and then Gigi can't be in, in the starting eleven. But you must be pretty excited that you know Torino have made their first signing for next season, Robert. With this this lad Simone Verdi from Salernitana who's single handedly keeping him up. Looks like looks like Cairo's gonna get the wallet out and bring him bring him to Turin. No need is- absolutely no need to be spending wasting money on the likes of Pride and Brecolo. <laughs> Um, the best thing that could happen for Torino is Salernitana stay up and they spend ridiculous money. Actually, we'll just take Edison. He looks a, a fine player in, in midfield. I actually spotted him in the game that we uh, beat them. I thought he looked really good in midfield and I think he's continued to have sort of promising performances. I, th- I did read some of that PSG were interested, so I'm not sure whether you'd want to play with uh, Messi or whether you'd want to play with uh, Carol Anetti. It's, it's a toss-up for me. That's a that's a tricky one, but I mean, you mean Linetti's not going to PSG? Uh, that well, he, he did get he did make a rare appearance though. So. Uh, another another one, yeah, another he, one who turned the game on on Saturday. Yeah, he, um, he must. I it, it, I'm not sure if it's a frustration. It's pro, to, it's a frustration for me with the five subs rule. I I don't like it, and I don't think I'll ever like it. But it does um, lead to just sort of strange changes, just for the, like. Changes just for the sake of making changes, and like you, you wouldn't in a if you had three subs as you, as you would have sort of naturally a, a few years ago. You wouldn't make a, a treble substitution, which is effectively what what Urich made in this game, um, and taking off both centre midfielders at the same time. But I, I think some of his changes, I know you've you've mentioned in the past about just randomly subbing off one of the back three can lose concentration and can lead to sort of mistakes and goals. I think, I, I mean, maybe maybe it was just a way to sort of say thank you because he hasn't played much football and... It was uh, it was a sympathy squad on, on Saturday, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I get, I get the feeling. I get, like... If Ola um, hadn't put his headphones in going to the mass at Superg, we might have even got a run out as well. But That really annoys you, doesn't it? It was, um, yeah. I don't think it's finest hour, but... No. I, and... The thing that frustrates me, now, and I totally agree with you, it's, it's probably not something which you, I don't think you would have thought as a, being a deliberate act, but it's something that you just don't put yourself in that situation. Uh, like, as, as soon as you're off the bus, you, you go into church, you go into a sort of a memorial service, take, like, take your headphones out, like, and just act appropriately. Um, yeah, even if you're not listening to anything, it's just it's just a yeah. Kind of, um, it's just it's just oh, yeah. Sure. And and what that's what really frustrates me with Ina really because if you think back to sort of two seasons ago when he first came, he really um, like he seemed 
to really like love the the atmosphere with Torino. He he really engaged with the fans. He was like there was videos in the change room with him and and, and Kulu and Mate and sort of it was always and Kulu would walk in with some sort of absolutely ridiculous shirt he was wearing and there'd be some sort of Mickey taking and you weren't really sure what language they were speaking or whether they were even able to whether Aina was even able to understand what Nkulu and Mate were saying, but there was just sort of, it was just a good atmosphere. It seemed like there was um just a, a bit of panther that you could sort of see uh, behind the sort of changing room doors in, in the in the squad. Uh, but ever since he sort of he left and he's come back, you just don't see that same sort of character and whether he's just not enjoying it as much or uh, I notice he's, he's, he turns off his um, comments on Instagram stories now. It's probably just to avoid. Well, that's uh, yeah. Another thing. Yourself. Another thing. We're putting your headphones in, as you you can't hear people. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone would 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 give abuse on on the fourth of May. Um, yeah, but it, part of it is just that maybe just blocking out. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Out. I, I, th- I think you're right. Nobody it, it, in the same way that uh, even there've been players who have been m- much more hated than Alorina. And to be fair, when he's actually played this season, he's not been terrible. I think he was. I, th- I think I saw on um, somebody had put him down as man of the match for one of the games earlier in the season. So he's he has had some okay performances when he's played, but he just he just seems very like he doesn't want to be there. And I don't really I think playing for Torino is should be a privilege, and any player who sort of doesn't see that as a privilege. I don't really sort of want to be in, in the team, really. That's, that's I, well, as simple I think as maybe that. The, the big, the bigger crimes seem to be they're all wearing. Were, were they all wearing white trainers? Is that part of the uniform? Is it just look? It was. I noticed. I noticed quite a few of them were in were in white trainers with suits, which was. I think the first person I ever saw wearing white trainers in in the suit was when I lived in Turin, and um, Alessandro Del Piero used to go around with that look, and it's just yeah. It's uh, not for. Not for you, uh, that I imagine. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't catch uh, Port Vale players doing that, would you? No, you, you certainly wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't. They'd, they'd wear tracksuits with their trainers. So. But, um, but yeah, two two games to go. Um, we'll talk a little bit about them a bit later. We've got some. We've got a few bangers coming up in terms of um, hero and villain of the week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll move on to your hero of the week. I think. I don't think uh, Olorina will be challenging that category in any years to come but or any episodes to come um but yeah let's who's your toro hero of the week so my hero is sandro coes who um was a very kind of hard-working athletic um midfielder in the kind of early early 90s and um yeah very often you you kind of pick a cult player and you don't end up talking much about the play. You talk about what they represented. Um, and I think there's a few, just a kind of few strands uh, before talking a little bit about Coes, but a few kind of strands to to his era. One was he was a Torino youth product. And I think one of the frustrations over, under the Cairo presidency as well is how few players Torino have brought through over the past 15, 20 years. We had obviously had a very successful Primavera team under Longo. Um, there has been a bit of success. The youth team struggled the last few seasons, but I was read you some of the players that the, the legendary Torino youth coach was was Sergio Vato in the 80s. And 
He won two Primavera titles, four Viareggio tournaments, six Coppa Italias, with a, and bringing through Dino Baggio, Cravero, Fuse, Lentini, Pancoro, Vieri, Rambaudi, Benito Carbo, and Venturin. And uh, Coes was almost one of the last ones off off that kind of conveyor belt. So he he kind of emerged uh, around 1991 um, and just kind of got bit part stuff. Um, in very successful top six Torino team. And then suddenly in uh, he was on the bench in the UEFA Cup final. We lost to, to Ajax. So, he you know, he was pretty close to the first team. He had made his debut the season before at 18. And I guess he came, first came to my attention in 92, 93. Um, again, he came into the team towards the second half of the season. And in our last bit of silverware, he had a massive part to play in that because he scored in the, it was a two-legged Coppa Italia final against Roma. First leg, we won 3-0. He came off the bench and scored, scored the second goal. Um, incredibly typical Toro, you would say. That, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the highlights of that second leg, but we lost 5-2 uh, to three very, very dodgy Giannini penalties. It was a, the last get there. I think the referee might be called Squizzato or something like this, but it was his last ever game. And he gave, yeah, he gave three pretty, at least two of the penalties were pretty dodgy. Roma were 5-2 up with half an hour to go. So um, Mihailovic scored a blinding free kick. So somehow Torino hung on um, to win win the Coppa Italia and then qualify for the Cup Winners' Cup the following season. Um, that was the season of the Os- Osama Bin Laden Arsenal game. The myth might be but the only other football match Bin Laden apparently saw in person was the Arsenal Torino match in the Cup Winners' Cup. And anyone else is a neutral who sat through that. That might have been the last football match you'd ever want to see as well. It was Torino and I, it was the it was the boring, boring Arsenal, and it was a bit of a Torino team under Mondonico who were a bit of a uh, you know that spider the Spider Man meme where you know the, the two were looking at each other. It was a bit like Torino looking in the mirror. Uh, the Mondonico team had become quite defensive at that point. Uh, but ni- yeah, 93, 94, we, we go out the Cup Winners' Cup to Arsenal. But a few weeks before, and this was like my best coest memory, and you often talk about things like this. It's just, I guess, when you're, when you're a little bit younger, certain memories stick with you for longer. And when I was following Torino at the time, it was to get a live game on Channel 4 was pl- pretty special. It was, you know, Torino might be on two or three times a season. It was always against the, one of the top three. And it, it never, and, probably going to be a match you weren't going to win but we played in I think we were on like 10 days before we played Arsenal if it was almost put on so um they'd get a lot of kind of curious Arsenal fans maybe watching it um but we beat beat into 2-0 and uh, Curry scored a blinding the blinding second goal the first goal was actually scored by another youth product Paolo Poggi who went on to have a pretty good pretty good to uh, a career as well uh, but at the beginning of that game, there was a banner. Um, at Torino fans, is a, a one-word banner, which is Ayuto help, because that week it had been announced that Torino's um, financial situation was chronic. There was um, the, the word bankruptcy um, started being used very regularly, and it became clear. It became clear that this was a bit the last hurrah, and, and things were going to things were going to have to change, and players were going to have to be to be sold. Unless unless someone came to buy the club, uh, so Torino beat Inter two 0 that day, and then seven months later, our next game on Channel Four 
I believe was against Inter. It was the first game of the following season. Guess how many of the that Torino team from the two 0 win started the following season? Okay. Uh, I'm okay. probably three. Zero. Wow. So we completely changed the team. We so that, that that team from the season before also had Benito Carboni. He he a lot of his players just went on the cheap. Uh, Carboni to I believe to Napoli, and then he had his long career in England. Coes went to Fiorentina where he became an excellent kind of a platform player for the for the you know likes of Rui Costa and Robbiati and and Edmundo Battistuta etc. He, he had had a very very good career there. Um, and it's yeah, so there's a sense of kind of regret that you know Torino was still was still producing quite good players, but I think the consequence also of that time was was the budget on the youth team. Uh, everything everything rotted at that point. And despite you had the uh, Abdi Pele season, the season after where we, we kind of fluked it for a year before, before the kind of big decline. But Coris, yeah, Coris remind me, if you want a modern day player, Pobega really reminds me of Coris because he has that physicality, that clean cut nature. Um, Coris, I think technically a uh, slightly, slightly better player, at least, you know, Pobega still got some, some growing to do, but, you know, with, with a kind of goal in him. But again, it's a, it, you know, Torino played that game against Inter. We we were sixth in the league, and they were seventh. So, you know, this was a Torino team that was still, still, still one of the top teams in Italian football. And yeah, I mean, Coes only played seventy two games. That shocked me when I kind of researched it earlier. And then to bring it full circle, he retired at the age of thirty one because of a head injury sustained in a Fiorentina Arsenal match with a clash with Tony Adams. Um, so Tony Adams scored the goal that knocked Torino at the Cup Winners' Cup in front of Bin Laden. Curris only played one more game for Torino because he got injured and missed the rest of the season and then effectively didn't play football again after the, after playing it. So, so Tony Adams, yeah, there's a lot of Tony Adams in his career. Um, and then post-career, he's apparently gone on to do quite well in kind of real estate and doing houses with his, with his wife. But I looked at this, you, you often think of these characters you don't think about. 15 years and I thought I'll have a look, look Google Coris and I checked out his Instagram and it's just you know it's a it's about 100 pictures of a guy in his mid 40s with his shirt off and to be fair if I had a body like that <laughs> but yeah as you could you, you could do some serious um you could do some serious um yeah what <laughs> washing of shirts and stuff on on on, on his six pack it was uh yeah he's the, the guy's the guy's uh still in pretty good shape but yeah, no, he he was a kind of a little bit of a cult hero for me because he scored a couple of goals which made a big impression of me on as a young Torino fan. You love players, you know, players who've come through the kind of Philadelphia, uh, players who play the right way. He had, he had all of that, and it was just yeah, a kind of massive regret that we we had to let him go in the cheap, and then and then you know we languish in Serie B, and then you put in on the TV, and then and Coes is is playing very well in a in a Fiorentina midfield in the in the Champions League and that kind of thing. Um so yeah slightly slightly nostalgic one. Um but yeah chance to I guess that we often talked about that kind of tipping point between between eras at, at, at Torino and uh he was a he was the one who perhaps epitomized that best in a certain way. I think that's a, a very good pick to ask uh Peter because he's one of those players who I've heard of but obviously not just just due, due to the area that he he played in, I've not seen much for or 
or not heard much about his Torino career. And I think, yeah, it's a really informative sort of segment just to sort of let people sort of know what, what Torino were like in that sort of, uh, sort of mid-90s uh, Cup Rings Cup era when we played Arsenal. I think we played Aberdeen in the in the round before. Um, Beyond Jess, yeah, I remember that. Just, um, we were 2-0 we down to Aberdeen at Picard. Uh, no, sorry, 2-0 down at home to Aberdeen, yeah. Coventry City legend, Leon Jess. Um, he... Um, just wanted to get your uh, thoughts on just one of the points you made about the sort of the decline of the youth team between sort of the 90s and, and the modern day. And obviously, financially, I think that's probably one of the main reasons. I think less teams put less sort of priority on their sort of academy, which obviously then leads to the sort of quality of players who, who come through um, not being as, as good as they might have been. But I've got a theory and just want to see whether you add any weight to it. If you think in the sort of mid-90s, there was the, I'm not sure when the, the limit on foreign players came in or, or stopped in Syria. So there probably was more inclination to play younger Italian players. I do feel Italian football has got a bit of a, a distrust in, in young people. Um, in, in football, um, specifically, I also quite like it that when I go to Italy, uh, I'm called Ragazzi uh, or Ragazzo, and, and I'm in my 30s. Um, so, so whether that's something that permeates in society as well, I think I've I think I've heard that a few points that have, have made that point. Um, so whether, and I think I think nowadays it is very difficult for young players to break to break through in Italian football in general, especially at Toro. Um, but I will finally make my point in a second. Um, there are a few sort of players who've come through the Toro Youth Academy. So Aramu, uh, who's currently at Venezia, and uh, Giassi, who's at Spezia. Maybe not players who would make it into the first team at Torino at the moment, but we'd probably be additions to the squad. They've had to go sort of down to, I think both of them had to go down to Serie C. Work them by work their way back up to Serie B and then and finally make it to Serie A sort of in their in their late twenties. So just to make a very very long winded point, it was. Do you think what do you think the reasons are for, are for that? And do you think maybe in the early nineties it was easier for younger players to to make the breakthrough? Yeah, uh, massively interesting conversation and also one we we could we could probably pick up. Um, and, and run with it in a little bit more detail. But I think there's a, I think there's a few points, a few good ones you make. Early 90s, yeah, there was a three foreign rule until till the mid-90s. So squads, you'd maybe have three or four foreigners and there's only so many experienced Italians you can, you know, you can fill your squad with. So um, yes, you had an injury crisis or suspensions. It was, it, you did, you were more likely to wash your, players for the youth team. I think of the way Buffon made his debut in the mid-90s at, at Parma and things like that. That's one. I think in the case of Torino, between about 95 and t- until Cairo arrived at least, there was, there was absolutely no club or no structure. So the youth team was in decline and it's not like you can just pick something back up immediately. It takes to build a successful academy structure. It takes you know, you, you're not going to start seeing the fruits of it, even if on day one you, 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 you get things right for, for a decade. So I think that's part of it. I think Turin also has a reputation. Uh, a lot of footballers in Italy tend to come from the south, from uh, Naples, Rome. These places produce a lot more footballers than 
than Piedmont. Piedmont does not produce a lot of footballers. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's, you know, there's economically it's a different area of, uh, in Italy. Maybe maybe uh, children of a certain age are um, are thrust into thrust into other things, and there's, that's probably a whole a whole debate in its side. Just a, just kind of the location of, of Turin as well, and then you mention. Yeah, Serie A in general has had, you know, you, you hear players who are 24 or 25, you know, with 100, 100 appearances being called young players. There has been slowly, slowly starting to see a little bit of a change, but there is a bit of a kind of distrust. And you, you're right, in Italy, people tend to stay in education for longer. It's just the way it is. You, um, They tend to, you know, to, to need more experiences uh, before getting a job. And when I moved to Italy, I was... Um, to work I was I forget I was probably someone like 24 25 and that was you know I was almost the youngest person in the workplace and it was very strange for um, for a lot of Italians I was working with to have to have someone come in so young who'd already worked for four for already been to university and worked for four years because that's a little bit more the reality of the education system in, in, in the UK whereas it's a bit different and maybe maybe there are kind of parallels with football at that you know players have to have to do their their loans in the lower divisions and follow and and follow this kind of this this kind of set path and 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 come for, you know when they're 23 or 24 they're deemed ready i think that is is changing slowly but i think there's a lot of those uh factors have come into play and it's just a lot of it's about opportunity and paradoxically you think about the five sub rule now in a way it is kind of easier to throw well, it may encourage people to stockpile and build bigger squads because they have, you know, more options to change your game. But it could also open up more more chances for for younger players. But yeah, I mean, Torino have had there's been the odd season that the youth team's done well, but there's just yeah, there's not been kind of not been uh, consistently season on season. You know, the way it used to be is each season one or two players would come through. And maybe they'll make it or maybe they'll become a sellable asset. But you would have each season you'd say, okay, who's come through this year? Okay, it's Coes and Poggi or Bongiorno and and uh, and whoever in, in the modern day. And now it's not, I mean, even, even Bongiorno, I think, is a lot older than, um, than I think he, then he seems to be portrayed as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting, very interesting conversation. And uh, but yeah, tr- I think the point being is traditionally Torino. One of the things in our DNA was having a very strong youth team, and having a youth team where the players were taught the values, certain values, um, which when they came into the first team, um, they were kind of ready as as men, even at eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Yeah, no, I think they're really good points, and yeah, like I say, it's, it's probably a, a discussion for a, for another day, maybe talking about the sort of. Torino youth uh, policy and 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 the fact that there probably are quite a few Torino players, especially in Torino in Serie B, who've come through that academy and, and maybe not been not been ready for for Serie A football regular. But I still think it's an important um, duty to do really to to prepare these sort of young men to to go on to have professional careers, or even if they don't manage it at a professional level, to to still sort of have that basis to to sort of go on and. And whether they just play part time or uh, semi professional, they drop out of the game. Like the big, big debate at the moment about sort of aftercare that sort of big clubs put into to sort of young players, and 
football clubs have, have got a responsibility in, in any way. I think players are seen just as, as being really disposable. As if in, in no other industry would you just sort of take a, a kid who's, who's been with you since sort of well, you're not allowed to get like eight year olds to go and work. So probably, it's probably a good thing that it wouldn't happen in another industry. But you can have a have a player who's been with a club since sort of like under ten all the way through to sort of sixteen, seventeen, and then maybe for whatever reason you don't carry on, and, and then you say, oh, sorry, you're not for me, and and then that's the last you hear of them. So I think uh, I think that's probably a, a bigger point in, in sort of football in general. But I think it's it's always nice to hear about sort of a, a player who's come through the Torino Youth Academy and been a success. And and who knows, maybe there'll be a sort of there's a player in the academy now as we speak who will go on to be a sort of Torino legend in a, in a few years to come. Let's hope so. I mean, I'll throw in one more thing. One's carelessness. And just while I wasn't expecting to, to, this conversation to go um, to go this way, it's one of the nice things about doing a pod. It's uh, um, it's not scripted, but Torino. Yeah, I was just written down a few names of players who've actually been in the Torino youth team who we've let go, or have let's say through agents and that kind of thing gone. But but Moise Kane was with Torino. Uh, we had Asamoah, Kwadi Asamoah, who went on to play for for Juve. Um, we had in the early 90s around the time uh, Coas was there we signed three Ghanaians and one of them was Sami Kufour who went on to play for Bayern Munich didn't play a, a game for Torino but um, yeah just a colossal error letting him go um, there was a lad earlier in the season who scored a lot at was well, scored a lot but was in quite good form for Pisa in Serie B, I think, called Luca. Yeah, um, Lorenzo Luca. Lorenzo Lu- who was I think goals to, have, have dry, have goals dried, dried up. up yeah, yeah. They're, talk, they're talking about the national team. And yeah, rubbish, he, I think he, I think the thing with Luca, why he was maybe so uh, highly touted, is I think he was like six foot four, um, but sort of didn't move like a like he was six foot four. Um, but yeah, it, that sort of that talk's gone a little bit quiet about how how on earth the Torino. So that's, go, that's the yeah. thing that's the thing with young players and it's the same in, in all levels of football but I think especially in Italy once once a player then has sort of poor form or, or whatever you're sort of like oh well we were right to we were right not to we were right to let him go we were right to sort of not give him the opportunity Aramu is probably the the player who I sort of can remember for, for Torino because I can remember his he came he had an appearance for Torino and uh Mihailovic against Pescara. I think he, I think we maybe got a man sent off in the first half and he got subbed. And that was the last time we, he, that's the first and only start session. Had, especially, I'm not sure if he came off the bench. We had another one with um, who, who was, um, uh, was it Paganini, the wide player? Or yeah, Vittorio Paragini. Paragini, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, but, yeah. Like him and Arami were, I think the reason why I remember him so much is that they were from Turin. Like you say, it's a really good point as well. Don't really get many players who, like in general, like footballers from from Turin. Obviously, I think Bongiorno was born in Turin. Um, I think Marquisio for the for the other side was born in Turin. But if you if you look at the sort of majority of sort of Italian, if you looked at the Italian sort of Euro squad, the majority would be from sort of Naples and below, maybe. Um, so I think yeah. That, the- so talking about Naples, there's just yeah, there's quite one interesting story I was throwing. Um, there was a in England, I think in the nineties, there was this lad called who was in the McDonald's. Or he might be in the McDonald's advert called Sonny Pike, 
think that was his name. Uh, but this this young kid who was tipped to go to the kind of very high, very high places and never made it to football. And Torino in about, I think it's about 94, 95. It was around this time of Coes. There was a pages and pages in the, um, the Italian press. We bought this young lad. He was either from Naples or Salerno. And I think his name might have been Vincenzo Sarno. That's exactly, that, who, it's exactly yeah. who it is because I was just about to bring yeah. up the story. Because and it was, it was, yeah, it is, he could do, he could do like 10, you know, 10 key uppies or something. And he was like the next little Maradona and all of this. And he, he was, I just remember there was a massive, either Torino paid like a, some kind of fee for him. Cause I don't know what kind of, it was trigger, like a world, yeah. I think it was like a world record fee for sort of like a, a young player. Yeah. Because, because funny enough, um, and we've massively gone off topic and we apologize, apologies to, to everyone for this, but um, I took an interest in Sano because before I sort of discovered Torino, when I was watching sort of um, Channel 4 uh, Football Italia, uh, the first side who I sort of had an affinity to were Foggia, um, and Sano was a key um, part of uh, Roberto De Zerbi's Foggia side of sort of 2016, 17, 18, I think, around that era. Um, so watching one of their games, as a, I was bored on a Sunday evening once, and to be honest, the Zerbi's Foggia side were n- not quite Zeman-esque, but they were up there. They like they would have like all that attack, sort of six five, five four sort of games. And Sane was sort of a Traquatista, can't be much more than sort of five foot seven, five foot eight. Did a little bit of research and then found this article about the fact that he'd signed for Torino as a ten year old. Um, and yeah, just it it's one of those stories which would be like a really good interview to to have with sort of if AB could sort of track him down I think he's probably still playing in, in Serie C at the moment but it must be quite a story because he's gone on to have a, a relatively decent career for, for sort of in Italian football but the idea of signing somebody for what would have been I think a world record or a, definitely an Italian record the fact that it made a lot of international press um, yeah it, it seems like an interesting story and if it- Fair play. I had vague notions that he'd had some kind of career, but I, I did, I'd forgotten he that he is kind of best work may have been at Fodger. But I think I'll, again, I think that's very niche, very niche uh, thing for me to know. So don't don't apologise for that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess to segue onto your villain of the week, I'll just say one of the other players Torino allegedly missed out on in the youth team was Ronaldinho, um, because there was a connection with his brother who was his agent. Um, and yeah, so the story is, is is a bit like that Maradona going to Sheffield United story, but yeah, there's there's there's, there's that, that Torino was so incompetent and and use, useless and you know kind of ninety five to two thousand five that yeah we could have let we could have let anyone go, but but we didn't not we didn't need to sign Ronaldinho because we actually signed a much better player, a much more successful player, a man um, who could be relied on in any kind of situation, a man who had a very graceful departure. Um, from Torino and a man who I'm not I'm kind of being serious for the first time now a man who is possibly Torino's best performer at a World Cup in the last 20 years so I'll let you uh, let you lead away you villain of the week actually yeah. when you came up with this one I'd forgot I'd, I mean this guy was knocking about a few seasons ago but I'd completely forgotten about this one and this yeah this one kind of trumps your Soriano I think it's just, we should have we should have really thought about this one earlier but anyway yeah. take it away so it's 
you may have been able to guess it from the uh, from the last sort of Torino player to perform well in the World Cup because you may have been one of the last players for, to play for Torino, non-Italian players to play in the World Cup. Uh, it's Mbai Niang. Um, he's he's one of those players who there always seemed to be a lot of talk about him signing for Torino before it actually happened, and he broke through. Um, I think he moved to might have been, I think he moved to Milan at eighteen from France. And at worst, he was there, played for, uh, played under Mihailovic, who was the Torino coach who signed him. Uh, I can remember watching him. When you watch players, sort of, when you not, don't have a sort of Torino hat on and whatever, you, you sort of watch a player and be like, oh, it does look like a good player, but you maybe watch sort of one in every sort of 15, 16, 17 games. So you don't really get an impression of the player. You maybe just see their attributes and you just saw sort of see things and you think oh it looks like a really good player and then when they come on to sign for you you've got a really unrealistic expectation of how good they're going to be because you saw him play one good game and Niang is that player I think I can remember I think he missed a really good chance for Milan in the in the uh, in the new camp I think against uh, Barcelona where they could have uh, come back from some sort of ridiculous deficit and he had a really good chance I can remember seeing that and even when even when we signed him, I thought, well, it can't be that bad if he was sort of having good chances against like that Barcelona team in the sort of mid twenty tens. Um, but as you can tell, this is the Toro villain uh, part of the podcast, so he did not work out particularly well for Torino. The statistics: twenty nine games and four goals. Probably doesn't tell the whole story. Mihailovic, who no, it was a lot worse than that. Yeah, Mihailovic, he bought into the club, didn't last particularly long. Probably the, I, I think we've discussed in the past, one of the most shocking sort of uh, sackings of, of recent Torino time where Torino weren't doing particularly badly, but uh, Cairo sort of ambitions of, of Torino getting into the sort of Europa League and he bought in uh, Walter Mazzari, who had then, funnily enough, had, had also previously managed in Bainiang at uh, Watford um, as he'd had a sort of a little spell in England and again I, th- I seem to remember him scoring a really good goal for Watford um, which might have even been on sort of a, a goal of the month compilation for on, on match of the day so you then you sort of build yourself up into having an idea of like oh, maybe, we've, maybe we've not signed a bad player here um, and the, the frustrating thing about him is I don't think he is a bad player I just don't think he cared I don't think he cared about Torino um, he has had a, a number of off off field issues. Um, I think he could be fair to say he's probably more more dangerous in a car than he is up front. Um, I think he's had about three uh, driving instances where he's probably finally lost his license now. Um, but yeah, as Peter did mention, he did score at the 2018 World Cup, and it probably helped Torino to to sort of get rid of Niang. I don't remember him playing too much. Um, sort of towards the end of sort of 17, 18 season under Mazzari, so it was sort of inevitable that he was going to leave. But he had a good tournament for for Senegal, um, scoring against Poland, where our friend Carol Anetti was on the bench. Um, and I think that probably we we'd signed him on a, a loan deal with an obligation to buy, um, and I think we did a sort of similar deal to to sort of get him out of the club when he he moved on to Ren. Um, currently at Bordeaux um, after a short spell in Saudi Arabia um, but he's also a player who's had a, a brush with the old Instagram 
this he's one. A, the Rob, the Rob Instagram police. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I've just got hatred of Instagram, but it's, um, it's, it's something that annoys me with, with. Have you got hatred of Instagram after all your karaoke, uh, karaoke well, clips you're posting that, all weekend? I think that's everybody else. To be honest, that's probably everybody else has got the hatred of Instagram now. But it, I wouldn't, if I was a professional footballer, I, the one thing I wouldn't do is use Instagram as a, a way to sort of get back at my current or former club. I think it, I'm trying to remember, I tried to find exactly what happened with Niang with Instagram. I seem to think it was ahead of a derby. He gave, he wished Juve good luck. Was it, was it that? Uh, it, was, it was two things. He, there was a kind of wishing Juve, it was a like on wishing Juve good luck, but the big one was, it was the Lianco derby. It was when Bologna, I believe when Bologna beat us 3-2, when they were uh, trying to, um, escape relegation and Torino were going for Europe um, under Mihailovic with Lianco on loan and there was a load of Instagram stuff after and uh, Liang was you know give, giving it the big one to, to about Mihailovic and I mean to be fair that doesn't bother me as much as the Juve one because Mihailovic really wanted Liang at uh, Torino I think Mihailovic must have had him at, at Milan yeah um, and whenever, I know, maybe, I don't know, in the end, I think, I mean, Torino were committed to buying him for 14 million. And whenever Torino put, you know, whenever Torino do spend significant money, it hasn't, Verdi didn't work out. Cristiano Lucarelli for a long time was our record signing. He didn't work out. Zaza. Uh, Nyang, yeah, Zaza, Niang, uh, very often hasn't worked out. Um I'm I'm not going to say this after the event. I thought he was a crap signing when we when when we made him. I didn't think he was a Torino player. I didn't think he was going to be the kind of character. Um, I didn't think we needed him either. I mean, look, we had Balotti, Lyich, Falke, and Beringer as a as a kind of attacking quartet. I don't know. There were kind of some issues with some of those players, but whether it be fitness or whether it be tactics, but um, I think yeah. I mean, to be fair, Mahalovic, he looked at the squad. He wanted to. Hey, we've got an absolutely atrocious defence. Um, let's not fix that. Let's 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 uh, piss, piss up fourteen million on 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 Yang. But I guess the idea was just to have a little bit, kind of more pace in the wide area. Um, that was the feeling he would bring. But from memory, he actually played a little bit more through the middle sometimes. Yeah, I think I think when um, he came, he went, sorry, when he, I think when he came through originally, he was a winger. Whereas then I think he maybe sort of grew into it, being so young, sort of eighteen when he came over to Italy. I think he grew into sort of his, his body a little bit more and and became more of sort of like a just a, a number nine type type figure but I, I just have memories I can never never remember him playing well I can just always remember him sort of sulking about the place never really putting in a shift never really caring whether he scored or whether Torino won or or anything and I think again it's difficult to maybe maybe have to find out from sort of Ren or, or Bordeaux fans or maybe some fans of the club he played at in Saudi Arabia, but I, I just, I don't envisage that he's changed. I think some people are just into football for what, what they can get out of it. And unfortunately for some players, that, that might just be money. And it seems like he, he will have had a, he'll have had a good career. Um, but whether he'll look back in sort of 20, 30 years and, and sort of maybe have a few regrets about how he sort of conducted himself at certain clubs. Uh, he did score four goals. Do you know who two of them were against? Couldn't have been against Juve, could they? Nah. Who were playing this weekend? Was it Verona? Oh, that's a link, my friend. It's a link to the that's, last segment. This is, is, this is the difference was, between that was, this is that a was professional a sort, and that an amateur. Was a, yeah, that was 
I was Adam Leipstein laying it on a plate and you were Niang. Your mind was elsewhere on your next car and you absolutely fluffed it. I can't believe, I can't believe, I'm a little dis- dis- uh, disappointed you went for Leipzig and not El Kadori for laying it on the plate there. That's, well, um, that's, if memory serves, uh, Omar El Kadori was, uh, had long gone. Uh, El Kadori uh, had had, well, I'll use a link now. One player who scored a very good goal at uh, the Stadio Bentegodi against Hellas Verona was at Omar Okaduri. And who we put... a lot, yeah, a lot who... of players scored at Verona. Uh, we actually had Joseph, totally Joseph Martinez. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, Abagua scored one year at Verona yes. as well, didn't he? Basically, all that... all of our favourite court heroes, well, maybe all of my favourite court heroes, who, who haven't yeah. quite made it into the Hotora hero section, but... Maybe I just need to have like one section where I just get them all off my chest about my my favourite players. And you're right, Hellas Verona. You like Stallone as well. He he That's scored. It. I think he scored almost a promotion winner at, at Verona one year. I mean, it was think, a period where I think we won four or five on the spin at Verona away. And you know, for Torino to have, have a shocking record everywhere. Verona's um, Verona in the last fifteen years we've done pretty well with it. There's only one win in the last five there, although three withdrawals. One of those was the one with 3 0 up and incredibly um, drew 3 3. And I think that result did for Mazzari and did for that season. Um, yeah. Because if we'd won that, I think we, there was, would have been a bigger kind of momentum shift. But um, that was the uh, the Ansaldi brace game where, where Ansaldi did look yeah. like the, the best player in the world. Yeah, and uh, I think Ber- Beringer had a very good game as well yeah. from, from memory. But we t- talked earlier a bit about Torino and Arsenal in the mid-90s, kind of looking in the mirror. I mean, there's an argument to say Torino, Torino and Verona might be the most similar team to Torino in the league, not just based on proximity in the Classifica. Yeah, I think you've obviously got the Euric factor there. And I think it's going to be an interesting game. because If you, th- if you remember the game earlier on in the season, we weren't. One nil up, I think, and then they reduced to ten men quite soon afterwards. But then we were holding on, and we were really like lucky to to win the game. I think from both from both sides, I think Hellas fans will be really up for it, really wanting to finish above Torino. Um, given their their manager left at the end of last season to try and sort of better himself and get a higher finish, and if they manage to sort of finish above him, I think they really like that. I think Juric probably also, deep down, won't like the fact that they've hired a, a fellow Croatian in in uh, Igor Tudor, who, who came in is actually probably under the radar, might be a, a shout for manager of the season, because he came in at the start of the season. They had uh, Di Francesco. Um, I think he might have lost their first three games. He has an unwanted record. I think he might have eleven or something consecutive Serie A defeats. Um, Tudor came in and has really, really made them play uh, well, sort of solid night uh, on the table. Unfortunately, not going to get into, similar to Torino, not going to get into Europe, fighting to, I mean, they should be guaranteed in the top 10. But they were a very similar side in, in the fact that I think they were, they were based on that Euric side and Tudor's come in and, and seemed to just have sort of followed that similar pattern. And maybe a bit more clinical with Simeone in good form up front. I really like Antonin Barak as sort of a an old-fashioned yeah, number player. ten. Yeah. Um, I, the last Torino game that I was lucky enough to see uh, before the pandemic was 
of a 4-0 uh, demolition at the hands of Lecce. Uh, and Barak was a, a key member of that of that Lecce side. Um, so yeah, I think it will. I think it's got the potential to be a, a good game because I think the the Hellas fans will really be wanting to get one over on on Urich, and I think Urich will will want to. So if, he doesn't strike me as a character who likes to sort of be shown up or or embarrassed in a way. So I think he would like to finish above Verona if he can, um, just as even though it's largely irrelevant because ninth or tenth in Syria isn't isn't going to get you much more money, but it might just it might just convince him because there are maybe question marks about whether he's going to be here next season. Still a little bit of debate about. Um, Cairo will come out and say something, and then Juric will to- <laughs> totally uh, say the opposite in in the next uh, interview. So there still seems to be that not everything's harmonious at the moment at the the upper echelons at Torino. No, but I think there's some kind of a little bit of creative tension going into the summer, and Juric is making it clear what he wants. There's also yeah, Torino had quite a good January in some ways, and a bit of an unlucky January, and they've got. They've got a few big decisions to make in the summer, which we'll come on to, which will then have a, an impact on how the squad's going to reshape. But I think the, I think there is a little bit of better work being done. Um, on Verona, uh, Farioni suspended this weekend. He's one of their, their better players. Simeone, you mentioned, if you actually look at his stats this season, he's barely scored in any games. He seems to have scored a lot of his goals in. Um, he's got a four and a three. Um he may even have another hat trick somewhere as well. He has often scored against Torino. He's often been muted as the next as the player Torino would bring in to replace Bellotti, but he may well score at the weekend. He's never never totally convinced me. Caprari seems to be quite a good foil for him. Um defensively they've got some honest players, but I don't think they're I think they there is some vulnerability there. Uh from a Torino side, do you know who's made most appearances this season? Or Toro, yeah. Oh, it's got to be Sasha Lukic. Uh, Singo, the Singo. Wow, Singo's. Uh, yeah, he's on, but he's I'm... suspended on. Um, he's suspended this weekend. Um, what we what we found he's... out here is that my knowledge of um, niche players who used to play for Foggia uh, is actually really good, but my knowledge of Torino players is actually quite poor. Well. It's it's an education for us. We both do we do players. have Lukic back though. That is Lukic that is, is, Lukic is back, and I think yeah, going back to the Napoli game, that's there seemed to be a general consensus that he was he was missed. Um, do you have um, with Singo suspended? Would you bring in um, Apple AirPods AirPods Ziner or do you, I don't know if AirPods Ziner. I mean, Ansaldi um, starting to get the, uh, the right. kind of lap up. Yeah, Ansaldi's starting to get the lap of honor stuff, isn't he? I don't think you're going to get 90 minutes out of him, whether he goes with Voivoda and Saldi. Um, probably, uh, given the circumstances of the game, it's probably it's probably an irrelevant point to make. But in the Empoli game, obviously, when we were, we were trailing and we were down sort of playing against 10 men, uh, it did look like uh, Sek played as a, as a right wing back. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, in this game, but it was a rare, op- it was a rare um, sh- sort of display that Juric is willing to sort of go against his sort of tactical um, sort of rigidity of, of just sort of like for like player and, and sort of bringing a sort of a wing back off a sort of like a winger striker. Um, 
was quite interesting. But yeah, that's not me suggesting that we 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 start second right wing back. But um, it's it, I suppose it's the potential that in if the the game dictates it, you've got that sort of option to sort of put him sort of given his sort of unpredictable nature, giving him a lot of space and sort of his pace, giving him a lot of space to run into. Um, could be could be a way to sort of get back into games should should we need it. Sure. Um, I think the other thing is if we take it for granted that Bellotti will play against Roma in what might be his farewell appearance, then he may not play this weekend if if Juric is thinking about giving Pellegria um, a start. So that, that could be a factor as well. Um, Prediction-wise... I think it's probably in Verona's interest to keep us below them. Where we have Roma final game. Roma will be preparing for the Conference League, which you you would think give maybe Katrina a bit of advantage in that last game. I I, I think it might be a, a pretty entertaining kind of two two draw. Um, this this weekend. Yeah, it my might, uh, suit, might suit everybody involved. My prediction for the Napoli game didn't. Uh, go very well as I was predicting a, a win, so I'll um, I'll be a bit more restrained this time. I'll go for it. I'm going to go really dull. I'm going to go for nil nil. Nil nil. Nil nil. There you go. Come to, come to Torino for the entertainment. I just like you say. I think um, I think Verona would be happy to keep us sort of at um, arm's distance and sort of sort of cement that ninth place. And Torino away from home especially have struggled to break sides down so I could imagine if if it's if no if nobody scored by about an hour's by an hour you can just sort of imagine the the game last season I seem to remember we sort of going towards that sort of boring nil nil draw. Voivada popped up and scored and then Federico De Marco popped up with his um customary wonder strike against Torino. So I can imagine maybe Maybe a similar sort of game, but without the sort of dramatic ending. I'm I'm going further. I, I think we'll go to two 0 down and draw two two. Oh, that would there be that would be uncharacteristic. Bit of a, bit la- of a to us, that's one one thing that's missing from this season is sort of like a last minute winner. Um, we've had some late goals in the Empoli games, maybe a late comeback, but obviously dictated by the penalties and the and the red cards. But it would be nice to sort of be on the, the receiving end of a of a late goal for a change, maybe a sort of a, a one nil GG header in the ninety third minute. But, but right. I think it's getting late on a Monday evening. You're talking yeah. about late coffee GG winners. It's given myself, a, yeah, I've we've given myself some good. We covered some good ground, but we're yeah. We're I've given myself two uh, two predictions there just to give them a bat. Yeah, I think we're getting a bit fanciful now. So it's probably it's probably a good time to say. The customary ending for Totoro and we'll 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 see you after the two two draw with Verona next Quite week.